0: Let's pray together. Father, today we come and we declare that you are our good shepherd. You lead us like no other, and we declare that we want to be your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. But like sheep, we don't always have the greatest sense of direction, but Lord, you're the one who leads us. And we want to submit to that. We declare that your words are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. They show us the way to go when you've given us everything we need for a life of godliness. Like sheep, Lord, we think we know best and we wander off in our own ways. But your compassion is so great that you come and you seek and you find us out where we're stuck in the mud or caught in the thorn bushes where we've had pride and Lord thank you that you bring us to our senses and you just put us on your shoulders and you start us back on that journey to the rest of the flock in a safe place. We declare you are our shepherds. Lord, sometimes your flock is under attack. There's lions and bears, but you are strong and mighty to save. David, he, you gave him the strength to protect his flock, and he could fight off all that was wild. And you let him become a shepherd to his people. Lord God, we say this all in faith because we read of all these things that have happened in history and how you've guided your people, and so we declare that we want to be guided by you today. I'm reminded of a song that says, Something Beautiful, Something Good, All My Confusion You Understood, All I Had to Offer You Was Brokenness, This strife, But You Made Something Beautiful of my life, and we declare that we trust that you can make something beautiful out of our lives and of our church. So as we hear your word, help us to be teachable, help us to be moldable in your hands, and fashion something beautiful out of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. Can you think of a city where people are generally pretty wealthy and there's high per capita income? Can you think of a city that's susceptible to earthquakes? Do you know a city where there's an interest in the New Age movement and all kinds of spiritual movements is high? Do you know a city where sexuality is confused? People seem really muddled about their sexuality and how to practice it, where there's also an emphasis on the occult, the power of demonic activity. And people have started to drift away from what is orthodox teaching, and churches are often struggling to find even some new gimmicks to try to get them back to church. Can you think of a city where there's an interest in angels, and angelology is it really attractive to some people, and they buy crystals and all kinds of stuff, even stores that sell them. That sounds familiar. That could be Vancouver, which is one of the loveliest cities in North America, other than Victoria, but never mind. Um, but it's not Vancouver. You know where that city is? That city's is colossi in the New Testament. It's one of the places that Paul wrote to. And what we've been doing for the last seven or eight weeks or so is we've been getting on the church bus every Sunday and visiting the city to which Paul wrote seeing what the church was like, what the church had to be like in order to survive and thrive in that city. So if you have your Bible this morning, your iPad, iPhone, i-something, whatever, you want to look up Colossians and I want you to be there. Because this is the very way Paul opens his letter, tells us how we need to be rooted um, in the city where we live. He was in writing to the Colossians, but here's what he wrote to them. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. And then he writes, he says, to the holy and faithful brothers, I like to add sisters, in Christ Jesus at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. What you really need to know in the Greek text is that Paul does something a little different. He doesn't say you're in Christ Jesus at Colossae. What he says is you are in Christ Jesus in Colossae. And he brings these two phrases together. You need to know why. Because here he defines our two relationships. First of all, Paul says to us, we are men and women and young people who are in Christ. That's our spiritual dimension of the spiritual relationship of our lives. Got that? You're in Christ this morning. A few minutes, let me sing that strong hymn in Christ alone. But then he says we're also in Colossae. That's the physical dimension. That's where we live. Or you could substitute in Vancouver. So you see, in Christ gives our lives their spiritual spiritual reality or location in Colossae or Vancouver gives our lives their their physical rootedness or relevance and we bring both of these together we realize what it means to be a Christian That so we are in Christ yes but we're also having to live that out in Vancouver and the struggle comes when we want to bring these two things together now I want to work through Colossians with you this morning And as always, there's many, many lines of thought. I need to stand back, as it were, and try to see what's the one essential message that Paul is writing to them. Colossians, like each of the cities and churches we visited, could speak to us today. That's what the Holy Spirit intends. But to understand Colossians, as many of the letters, you need to know what its original context and purpose was. What was happening in the city? What was influencing Paul's writing. We'll need some background, which is critical. Some of this may be familiar to some of you, and it may be new ground for others. So please just kind of track with me. It takes a little bit of work beyond a normal, average sermon, but you're not a normal, average congregation, so we can get there, okay? We have to understand the reason for this letter and its impact today. Woven into Colossians are a number of references, some of them very clear, some of them a little bit subtle, which are sometimes called the Colossian heresy. In other words, there was a heresy going on in the city of Colossians and which was, had infiltrated the Colossian church. Now, it's never stated outright what it is. You have to kind of construct it from a number of these internal references. For example, there was in the Colossian heresy an interest in astrology. <coughs> the ancient world was dominated by, by the influence of the stars. The greatest, the wisest people would not go out without consulting the stars. Do you know what's perhaps the most read section of a newspaper today in North America? Horoscopes. A horoscope. We're not that far away from Colossians. There was a belief in the power of demonic spirits. Every place, every river, every mountain had evil spirits. You found them, as it were, under every rock. Then in the Colossian heresy, there was teaching which was, we call it, ascetic or legalistic. You had to deny yourself certain things in order to be spiritual. There was laws about food and drink and what you could taste and what you could touch. Again, there was an observance of special days and rituals and festivals and new moons. So they said certain days were more holy or more special than other days the opposite of that, there was teaching which was reflected, we talked about this last Sunday, which was license. How many of you remember the big new word I taught you last week about what license was? It begins with an A. Antinomianism. Wow! Good for you! Antinomianism meant that you could just do whatever you wanted. Didn't it? And then lastly, there was the worship of angels. It sounds just like today. Now, behind all of these different bits of teaching lay a first century heresy, which was called Gnosticism. I've told you about this before. Gnosticism. And here you've got to track with me carefully. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Gnosticism was essentially what we call dualistic. It separated things into two. It separated the spirit from the body. It separated the spiritual world from the material world. It taught that what was spirit alone was good and pure. Matter, anything that was material, anything that was created, was flawed and was evil. And so there was an impossible gulf in Gnosticism between what was spiritual and what was earthly. Now, this kind of dualism, and by the way, we still have that dualism today, has huge consequences. One issue was, how could God then reach down to create? He could not possibly be the maker of heaven and earth, because God is spirit pure and holy, and this earthly stuff is wrong. It means also that God could not reach down to touch the earth in human form. The Gospel of John, by the way, was written against Gnosticism. The Gospel of John says, too, is, And the Word became flesh. You see, this word of God, this logos is the Greek word. That was a Gnostic term, by the way. Became flesh. That would be an impossibility for Gnosticism. So how did things like creation happen? Well, Gnosticism taught that between God is pure and spirit matter is evil. There's a whole series of kind of steps going down a step ladder. And each one, things get a little less pure and a little more earthly, a little less pure, a little more earthly, until eventually in them you have nothing of God and everything is earthly, only matter. That creates, if you understand that, that creates two opposite approaches to ethics. On the one hand, you can say, this this body of mine, I will have to beat it and starve it and whip it and deny it because it's evil. So sex and sexuality is wrong and dirty. Every urge from my body will have to be refused so that we'll deny this body and beat it into submission. Or you take the opposite approach. You say, you know what? This is only the physical part of me. That has no real meaning to God. I can do then whatever I want. Whatever I do to my body and with my body doesn't matter. Because God is only interested in my spirit. And that opens the door to all kinds of license, all kinds of abuse. It denies all responsibility. So I can go to the Saturday night orgy or whatever in Colossians. It's only my body. Not important to God. Because God is only interested in my spirit. How does Paul answer this heresy? How does Paul answer heresy? Well, he doesn't Answer it head on. You know what he does? It's absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely beautiful. What he does in this letter, in two passages, I'll read them for you in a moment. He knows all the stuff that's going on that's wrong. And he writes to the Colossians. You know what he does? He says simply, let me bring you back to Christ. Let's not get into all of that let me center you back on Christ. And here you find in Colossians, woven into the Word, two absolutely phenomenal passages that center us today back on Jesus and back on Christ. If you have your Bible, it's chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes to them, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, were things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones and powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Jesus is the glue for our lives. He said He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. And God was pleased to have all of His fullness. We don't see it in English, but that—that that was a Gnostic word. All of the fullness of God was embodied and incarnated in Jesus, and through Him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things of heaven, by making peace through the blood—through His blood shed on a cross. No Gnostic could ever, ever have written that. God has reached down to us in Christ and in creation. Do you realize that? You've got to stop and just be in awe about a passage like that as we just read it. You've got to do that. A couple of weeks ago, I was working in this. It was a Friday afternoon in the offices, and um, I'm often the only one in there on a Friday afternoon. I don't know where anybody else is, but whatever. I'm all there on a Friday just by myself, and I wrote out that passage from Colossians chapter 1, 1 to 15. And I read it. And it was just one of those moments you realize again how centering that passage is in who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. And I found tears starting to run down my cheeks. Just imagine that. And I began to sing I'm not a great singer. But I began to sing. And I was kind of thankful I was all by myself. I didn't have to explain that to anybody. But I just began to sing. There was a moment of worship just for Tom, sitting in the VCBC office. And I just began to sing a little song. You know it. Simple chorus out of Christmas time. I invite you to join me. and just bowed my head. And in a moment all by myself was just so absolutely thankful again for Jesus. And centered back on Him. The other passage is chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Do you realize how that would drive a Gnostic nuts? All the fullness of God dwells in bodily form? And you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over all power and authority. In Him you were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not a circumcision done in the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. You've been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through faith in the power of God, who raised Him from the dead when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled out the written code with all of its regulations that was against us, through the us. He took it all away and He nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross, by the cross. Do you ask what it says and what it means? There is no secret pathway that only a few people have discovered. There is only Jesus who stands between all humanity and God. And in Him we be made complete. In whom, says Paul in Colossians, in whom are hidden all of the mysteries of treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he declares to them and to us almost with exasperation. Look at verse 16. So do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration Sabbath, or a Sabbath day. These things are a shadow that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels. Get all those references now. Don't let them disqualify you for a prize. Such a person goes into a great deal with his son and his spiritual mind puffs them off. That's not the point, says Paul. So what is it saying to us? When we think about the church today, all of its struggles and whatever, we need to be centered on the uniqueness of Jesus and who He is and all that we've done. I've talked about coloring outside the lines and I believe we do that times. We do not color outside the lines when it comes to Jesus. The 21st century church today in cities like Vancouver and Victoria and Colossae must be truly and remain faithfully Christocentric. Christ and Christ alone is enough. So Paul says to them, chapter 2, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles this world. No no one takes you captive. It's it's the picture, actually, of, of someone, a slave dealer, buying and getting some new slaves and dragging them off and taking them captive. Now, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about philosophy. I believe deeply that we should love God with all of our minds. But there's a caution for the 21st century church. Christianity in its ultimate sense, is not a philosophy to to be debated. It is not a theory of knowledge to be discussed. It is not a logical concept to be analyzed. It's about a person. His name is Jesus. I'm amazed at what some people will hear and buy and follow today as new and enlightening truth. It's an ABC of material that the church has been preaching and we should know from a long time ago. T.K. Chesterton said that when people stop believing in God, they no longer believe in nothing; they now believe in anything. Dostoevsky could add to that. He said, "If anything is permissible, if there is still God, how much more then if everything is God?" That's New Agey stuff. Everything is God. In Colossians one, there's a picture I've used and come back to every year for 45 years. It's my personal mission statement for my life. Colossians 1.28, if you want to look it up. We proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. Paul's saying to us, we're not here at DCBC to proclaim a denomination or a, a certain bias. We're here to proclaim simply Jesus Christ. And if we try to do anything other than that, folks, then the church is moving away from centering on Christ. We're called to admonish. I do that at times, to teach with wisdom. And we're called to bring change into the lives of people. I believe deeply that my calling in the last two years I've been here is not to stand here and give you information in new Greek words, it is to speak God's word in the power of the Spirit with whatever passion and integrity I have, that it may change and transform lives. And Paul goes on to say that in the next verse, 29. He says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. And in that verse, there are five words that are words about energy and power. There's words like labor, struggling, energy, powerfully and works. Five words that talk about the kind of energy that needs. That is what makes spiritual leadership folks today for pastors and elders and deacons the hardest challenge out. Because spiritual leadership is not about giving out information. Spiritual leadership is not about running programs. Spiritual leadership is not about finding out what people would want, try to provide it. It's about believing in Christ and Christ alone is able to change the lives of people. And that cannot be done without fully acknowledging who He is, and the totality of His work on the cross. This June, July, I will have finished 45 years in ministry. And every year, I've made a commitment to every church I've pastored. And that commitment is simply this. I will bring you all that I am. I cannot bring any more. And I promise not to bring any less. I will bring you all that I am. I can't bring any more than that, folks. And I promise not to bring anything less. Can you imagine what a church would be like if every person agreed on and carried out that responsibility? And in the letter, Paul talks about the agony of being a pastor. He says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. Chapter 2, verse 1. The word for struggling is our word for agony. He's saying, I want you to know how much I agonize over you. Some of what I do, honestly, brings me great joy. And some of what I do gives me agony. Yesterday, Harriet and I had, on Friday in Victoria, we had a burial and yesterday a funeral service a lady we've known, family we've known for 32 years. Married her children, dedicated most of their grandchildren. And yesterday we laid her to rest. And I sat with the family through some memories, some laughter, through some tears. It was agony. I am often awake in the middle of the night. I agonize when I know that people are in tension over something. I agonize when I get complaints and nasty emails about what people like and don't like and are critical. Our consumer society breeds a consumer church. I agonize over that. I agonize when I see marriages and families in turmoil and I cannot fix that. Because I like to fix things. I agonize when I see people stuck in their spiritual lives. I agonize when I see the potential of a church and we seem to go around in circles. I agonize over the present struggles in BCBC. I agonize when I see and hear power and politics which does not belong in the church. I agonize over that. Because I believe that the church. I believe that the church is the only hope for the world. The church that is centered on Jesus is the only hope for the world. And I realized a couple of weeks ago reading Colossians that I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to bring you except Jesus. But in Him alone we find all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the church. This afternoon when we meet can we remember that He is the head of the church, He and He alone is the hope of glory. He and He alone is the hope of the world. And all that we are and all that we have, we are and we have in Christ alone.
2: My light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground On through the fiftest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when starting see my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand in Christ the lonely dark and fullness of God in helpless faith the juice of love and righteous love, scorned by the ones he came to save Still on the cross, that Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the cross of Christ. There in the ground In starting land Light of the world By the dawn are bursting for the from Red yeah And
0: Of declaration that here in the power of Christ we stand I cannot think of any more beautiful way from which us to respond to that by taking communion together as the body of Christ as an act of affirmation here in the power of Christ we stand earlier we also sang a song his sacrifice on Calvary has made the mighty cross a tree of life for me. Amazing that God can take such a despicable, horrible moment of history of death of Jesus Christ and make that a tree of life for us. Pastor Tom shared with us Paul's words from Colossians. When we were dead in our sins and in the unsickering, uncircumcision of our sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them By the cross, what an amazing victory! I invite the ushers and servers to come forward as we prepare to receive these elements that represent the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your Son, who is in your image. He is the firstborn. He is the creator of all things, before all things, the one who holds all things together. Jesus is the head of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is supreme. He has all the fullness of God dwelling in him. And he is the one who reconciles all things to God by his death. We proclaim you. And God, thank you that we have a very physical, tangible way that we will hold these elements today in our hands. We will taste them with our mouths. God, use all of these senses. Renew our hearts to be reminded, God, of this tremendous sacrifice. It is our tree of life. Thank you. Amen.
2: Brother, let us come together Walking in the Spirit There's much to be done We will come
0: Scripture from Matthew, and that's a record of Jesus with his apostles right before his death at the Last Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
2: Let's eat and drink.
0: Father God, we thank you for the body that was broken and your blood that was poured out. God, may our lives be a living, holy, pure, complete example of the tremendous sacrifice that you have given. God, it gives us life from which we can live freely. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit, for teaching us how to walk in these ways. Amen.
3: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for this time. we share of community life and go over some of the events that are happening in our church and also our time of offering. So I'd uh, to invite ushers to come up to receive it. Uh, first up, there is the earthquake and fire drill today. Uh, so at the end of the service, you'll probably hear like a rumbling sound or a fire alarm. Um, don't be alarmed. Um, just uh, quietly and calmly just uh, walk outside. And I believe we're supposed to walk to Ross Park, which is down that way a couple blocks. Oh, earthquake first. That's right. Ah, testing you guys. You guys remember. So that's right. So when it when you hear the earthquake sound, the rumbling, just get down. Anyone want to demonstrate to me? I don't know. But Ray, Ray, Ray gave us a very thorough uh, announcement last week. So hopefully you all remember what to do. So I once again, just to recap, I believe you just get down. If you're on the pews, just get down between the pews and cover your uh, your your head and uh, just go down on your knees. So and pray to everyone. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so um, the parent-child dedication, today is the last day, that's right, June 9th. Um, so today's the last day if you have a child that you want to dedicate um, to Christ. Uh, June 16th, is the, that's next week, is when we're actually doing it. So today's the last day for you to reply. Um, PBS, our summer uh, day camp for children, uh, the registration has already begun. So it's on July 8th to 12th, registration details on the announcement. Um, prayer guides. So last Saturday we had our prayer retreat. Uh, so we have extra prayer guides. If you still want to um, pray over, um, use this guide to help with your prayer life, um, they're more than, uh, you're more than welcome to grab them. Uh, you can find them for you or contact Monica Chow for them. And also, um, Sally Law Celebration of Life Memorial Service is this coming Saturday, 1 o'clock, here in the CCB Sanctuary. And I'd also like to invite Louis to come up to make an announcement for um, the sale of summer mission trip. Hi, right, so mission forms are due last week. So if you're still interested in going, there's only there's about 30 people on the team, and we're going to cap the team at 40. So if you're still thinking about uh, coming, make sure you get your forms and money into me today. And that's it. <laughs> and um, just another quick announcement that's not in here. Um, our SYC are due summer camp, the registration has already begun. So if you'd like to form, um, uh, contact uh, one of the youth leaders for it. And also uh, the deadline for the application for the youth camp is July 21st. You can see a little picture of it in the front. And uh, last of all, I'd like to invite uh, Philip to come up to also make another special announcement.
4: Thank you, Pastor Johnny. While I'm here, I want to say a couple of words. I want to thank you and thank the Lord for allowing me to serve in this church for the last 44 years. Um, I've been very uh, grateful to all of you and uh, the Lord has blessed at least the ministries that I endeavored to uh, perform for the last 44 years. But because of the events taking place in church, mainly on the Canada side, over the last few months, we had so many meetings, it just won me out, so I uh, recently i decided to step down as the vice moderator for the uh, english congregation but i'll remain as the deacon as you would permit me to continue to serve uh, so uh, i just let you know this time another uh, announcement i can make is that <clears throat> as you remember on the um, 26th of may the members had a meeting the meeting was um, was a long meeting and it lasted until about seven thirty, I understand. I personally didn't say that long. But because of the number of items to be discussed was were not completed, so the members have decided to hold another special meeting to continue to finish the agenda items of that meeting. So today at two thirty will be the continuation of that meeting. However, you might have seen some notices on the insert of last Sunday's uh, worship folder saying that the meeting was canceled. Uh, that is not the case. Um, I don't know how and why and who put it in there. But as of recently, the, uh, the joint pastoral team's meeting, the majority of the pastors agreed that the meeting should continue because the members have the right to continue that meeting. And also, as recently as yesterday, uh, all the <coughs> the Chinese Cantonese deacons have decided it's the right thing to allow the members to continue with the meeting today so that's why the meeting shall be held this afternoon at 2:30. However, however uh, because of some concern of the legality of the release of the records that were given out last Sunday um, There's a possibility that someone may sue the church for the release of that uh, record. So to be cautious, we shall not discuss any of the content of the the matter concerning the the records that were released last week. So come and pray. We have a peaceful meeting and uh, we will not discuss any of the materials may be sensitive to certain people that may cause some concern for uh, a possibility lawsuit uh, if someone decided to sue the church for doing so now when you were coming in this morning some friendly friends have given you some handouts this is the opinion of one of the lawyers saying that this may be sensitive material that you may be sued for for, um, reading or discussing the materials recorded in those materials that you were giving out. It's not illegal to come to the meeting today. It is legal for you to come to a peaceful members meeting this afternoon at 2.30. And let's pray that God will overrule. He's in control.
3: Please come. Yeah, before you go, Phil. maybe we can um, just uh, really thank Philip for our service all this year as so the vice moderator of the show. <laughs> we'll Let's pray together. God, we are in such a need to hear the message that you've given us today to make you the center of our life, to make you the center of this church, Father. Lord, we just pray that you give us the wisdom as we discern what's right and what's wrong, that you will help us to do what you want to do here at BCBC. So Lord, as we come to you, Lord, we just surrender to you all our worries and all our burdens, and we continually trust in you each and every day no matter the calm or no matter the storm. So, Father, may you just be with this church, be with us, and know that we love you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up, uh, take a moment, and greet one another.
0: sing together. Let's declare that God is faithful even when there's scars and hurts on the way. I just encourage you to be able to stand firm and say, yes, God, you are faithful even now. It's like a new one, so let's sing together.
2: Standing on this mountain top, Looking just how far we've come Knowing that for every step You were with us Kneeling on the saddle Seeing just how much you've done Knowing every sister we Come Just how much you've done Knowing everything To be with your heart and shadows all the way Yeah! No! Follow hockey
1: through most of the most of the year. I'm just kind of not interested much. But I start to watch it when we get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. <laughs> so this past couple of weeks, I've been watching sometimes with my grandchildren um, some of the games and the Penguins and the Bruins and all that kind of stuff. And they work hard and they get pretty tense and you know they just some pushing and shoving and whatever. But there's sweet guys on the ice who got black and white shirts and whistles. Who are they? The referee and the linesman. And when they say, you're out, you're out. They rule. They got the whistle. Here's what Paul says to the Colossians. Let like the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's a picture that Christ is the umpire. He is the linesman of the church. He is the only one who carries the whistle. Since we are members of one body. And we were called to peace. Just remember that today. And remember, He's the one with the black and white shirt. He's the only one who carries the whistle. Let
2: His peace rule in our hearts. Okay? God bless you.